Please push down, then pull up on your lap bar. Ooh, what up, everybody? It's your boy, Adam Pacora here. Happy Tuesday, or whatever day it may be. You know, I don't know what your pace is at, but shouts out to you, you know, if you if you just like, you know, you got to have it. Give me some more of this, you know, then great job. You know, I appreciate you. This is, of course, Requiem for a Tuesday. Uh, I tried my hardest not to do another repeat intro this time. I'm already cycling through them. It's pretty embarrassing, uh, but, you know, it happened. We can't do anything about it now, and uh, that's okay. I'm okay with it, and we'll we'll just move on. It was uh, a wild and eventful Thanksgiving, I'm sure, for everybody. Uh, if we got time... Hopefully we can get to the sporting events that have occurred over this uh, holiday weekend because uh, it was fucking crazy, top to bottom. So hoping hoping we have time for some sports corner, everybody's favorite segment, a little later on. Uh, before we get into today's uh, heated battle that uh, I've curated... Uh, we got a new item up in the store, so that's exciting. You know, the very first Microwave Minutes merch. Again, please go watch or listen to that show. Uh, the newest and first addition to the RFAT Audio family. That's right. Uh, we just got little coasters. They're cute. They're fun. They were cheap to get, cheap to sell, and it's food-related. So, you know, I figure that's logical, right? So, who cares? It's at least logical. <laughs> Whether anybody wants it or not, uh, I can at least justify it. So <laughs> that's up, rfat.bigcartel.com. It'll all be in the description along with the links to my Instagram and all the other things, music and so forth. All linked below. So please check all that out. Uh, don't forget on the RFAT YouTube channel, you know, got the new home invasion music video which is fun and was a lot of work so go check that out because youtube tough to crack let me tell you you know it, it it like makes sense that you know you're not gonna you know be breaking logan paul's subscription record with an audio format on a video platform i understand that but then it's like even when you put up the videos it's like how does this stuff get buried in here you know what i mean there are times in the past where I've put up videos that have since been deleted, you know, don't go, don't go try to find them, but, and you type in the exact title verbatim and it doesn't show up and it's like, okay, something's afoot here, right? Just saying, you know, not saying that I should be breaking records or anything, you know what I mean? But it's just like, uh, you know, it's a little fishy, That that's all. Where's the data? Show me the data and explain it in words that I can understand. And then, you know, maybe I'll concede. But I don't know. Something's up. Count the votes. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, check that stuff out. Uh, it'll, as always, be in the description. So it's there. You know, no excuses. And, uh, of course, please rate, review, subscribe to this show. means a lot. goes a long way. So, thank you. And we will move forward. So, uh, it's finally happening. 
I'm going to do it. I've talked about doing it, so I guess I'm doing it. All right? Okay. Um, really because of Thanksgiving, I wasn't even around. I was doing things. Don't worry about it. But it was fine. It was, uh, I appear to be not dead. So, is it a myth? I don't know. Do, do you trust the vaccines? Who makes them? You know what I mean? Just kidding. Take your vaccines. <laughs> uh, but the point is, you know what I mean? I wasn't like locked in. I wasn't on uh, any, any type of binge. You know, there, were, there was no addition to the lexicon. I don't know what I'm really trying to say here. But, you know, there was no substance to be added in material that I could just do a show freewheeling willy-nilly style. Okay, big Willie three. So uh, it's time. I'm going to do the Tarantino rankings. And, you know, assuming that there's time, I hope that there's time, I'll be doing it in the face-off with Paul Thomas Anderson. And we're going to do a rank v. rank and then culminate it all, which is why I don't think there's going to be some sports time. I think we might be flying over the handle here in the first place. But we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Um, and then ideally, you know, if I can manage it, which I should be able to, we'll get into a little Fargo on the next episode. Kind of wanted to do it for this one. Didn't have time. So I basically got to watch the whole new season. I wouldn't count on it, but you know, it might happen. It might happen. So we'll see. <laughs> Give me a week. I don't know. Well, it can happen. Um, but yeah, right before... The whole holiday festivities took place. Watched for the third time, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I'll get to when I get to it on the rankings, but, you know, kind of inspired the whole debate back in my head. I was thinking about it, and then, what, on like the 19th, I think the news broke. I found out about it a few days after, but that production had wrapped already on... Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie, which should be dope. I'm going to talk about that when I get to that as well, but I'm excited about all that. So it just kind of fell into place. It's like, why wait until the new movie comes out? I also might prejudge that too quickly, you know, as I might have done with Once Upon a Time. But anyway, so we're going to do it now, even though the movies are 9 to 8 and really 10 to 8. You know, but we're going to count Kill Bill as one because that's how it's put technically is. And that's fine, I guess, but whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a bloodbath. I've been saying that a lot over the past two days, but that's because uh, I was getting myself prepped up for the Bears Packers. And boy, you know, it's not always nice to be right. Let's just put it like that. Okay. So let's dive in. I'm going to do your boy QT first. That big cokehead. Um, let's start with honorable mentions, though. So I'm doing only strictly films directed in the power rankings. So first we'll talk true romance. I talked about true romance on a previous episode, so I'll just sum it up real quick. I don't like it. I don't get it. It's overrated. Uh, glad that he chose to do Reservoir Dogs instead and let somebody else direct it. Although I'm sure it would have been better if he directed it. That's just how that goes, right? 
Uh, but yeah, I don't like it. So that wouldn't have been, it would have been at the bottom of the list, even in the expanded list. That's for sure. Uh, then we'll go Natural Born Killers. I love it. Uh, apparently Oliver Stone like significantly rewrote it and changed it a bunch, but I like it the way it is. Uh, so, you know, kind of glad that that happened. If he had directed it, probably just would have been another gangster movie, you know, especially given the time. Who knows? We won't. That's fine. Uh, but I like it a lot. So big ups to Quentin for just having more credits and more greatness. And from Dust Till Dawn, absolutely underrated gem. He's actually a pretty good actor, I think. Haven't seen it in a while, you know. Um, but really cool movie. You know, it's in that whole gangster style, and then it turns into a vampire horror movie, and it's fucking sick. And that was done by Robert Rodriguez, but I think Tarantino wrote it as well, because the dialogue is pretty good. And, you know, George Clooney... Like, pre-star, but he's clearly, you know, still just a big old hunk. But he's a bad boy, and it's good. It's a good movie. Salma Hayek, I mean, come on. It should be illegal to be that hot. Because it is like, I don't know. Maybe I just saw that movie at a pivotal time. Let's just put it like that. That could be true, but Jesus Christ. That is uh, that is some good stuff. <laughs> And uh, speaking of Robert Rodriguez, that will segue us nice into the number nine slot, which is, I think, by default on pretty much everybody's list, it's going to be Death Proof, right? So here's the thing. I think that this is still a good movie. So, like, the worst movie on this list still pretty good. I would still, like, if you wanted to watch it right now, like, yeah, let's watch it. I'll watch it. You know what I mean? Like, it, there's nothing bad about being at the bottom of this list. Just this particular list. Good list. You know? <laughs> um, listen, I think that if we were talking Grindhouse as a whole, including the fake trailers, like the entire experience, it might be way higher. Because I also love Planet Terror, and I just think, you know, the entire experience of Grindhouse was more fun, very underrated. I wish that it could happen again, but it probably never could. You know, should have been appreciated. I saw it in theaters, and it was a magical experience. Um, I will say, in the theater, I thought Planet Terror was a better movie. I think my opinion on that's probably changed. Um, but that's because Robert Rodriguez went more straight exploitation, as he tends to do, whereas Tarantino kind of tries to elevate that. A little more, and the more you watch, or the more I watch Death Proof, at least, I think that it's clear that he's doing that again, whereas it seemed lazy and weird in theaters. Like, the chases were still awesome to watch, but the plot didn't really make any sense. Because it was like, how is he a tough guy? Now he's all scared. But then when you rewatch it, it's like, obvious why. Because nobody ever fought back before and he couldn't fucking handle it. So, I mean, I think that that's pretty clear. And that those were some tough women. And, you know, that movie's a blast. I think that it's a lot of fun. And I think it's the longest chase scene, like, in history. Or, like, one of them. 
I don't know. And that's the thing. Like, on a technical aspect, when you rewatch this, it's like, damn, this movie's fucking sick. And they clearly put a lot into it. Uh, it just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't hold up. I think even he says that. Like, he acknowledges, like, he'll never make a movie that bad again. Which, like, if that's your worst movie, you know, you're doing pretty well. Because I am a fan. But that's going to be number nine. And number eight. <clears throat> oh, Jesus. You hear that? I'm still waiting for my other ball to drop. Fucking squeaks over here. Number eight, I think this is probably a controversial pick. I think a lot of the look how smart I am, I'm going to zag, I'm the contrarian smart guy, would have this pretty high on the list, but it's Jackie Brown. Um, And here's why. It's really, yeah, like every argument you could make is accurate. It's really well done. It's really well acted. It's really well written. All those things. That's always true about all of his movies. So, boom, get out. And it's like, it's the least memorable. I remember more of Death Proof than I do of Jackie Brown. And it's like, yeah, when I think about parts of Jackie Brown, they come back to me. And it's like, oh, the department store stuff. That was fun. Robert Forster's great, you know. I don't know. It's just small time. I'm sorry. It's like when he's throwing all this Technicolor at me, this black and white movie is just less interesting. Now, that may be a stupid way to put it, and it probably is. But I think you get what I'm getting at. It's just like he was, I guess, trying to do his black exploitation movie, but it ends up just being like a small time crook movie. You know, like, it's just not that flashy, and I'm not that hooked into it. Some of it's a little weird, like, Samuel L. Jackson's character is just, like, a weird guy. Robert De Niro is really good, but definitely is playing a character that's strange for him, and he's just with that girl, and then, you know, he just, like, kills her or whatever. And this is like, I don't know, like, do we even need those people in this movie? You know? It's just not my favorite. I don't know what to tell you. Um, I'm just not interested. Pretty much, I, I think if like I would watch that one the least amount of times, and again, still not a knock. I still think it was really good. I mean, I didn't even put it last. I think it's a better movie than Death Proof, but I think just on its like forgettability, is that a word? That doesn't sound right, but whatever. You know, it just had to be there. I just couldn't put it any higher. Which brings us to number seven. Again, I didn't even think that this was going to be this low either, really. It's like, so I guess I should have clarified the kind of the form. I guess I shouldn't have. It doesn't really matter. But the way that I did this was I just wrote the pool down and then ranked them based on looking at them. You know what I mean? I didn't try to just put this list together in my head or I didn't do it off top. I made sure I could visualize and attack and really plot and plan. And especially when we get to the PTA one, I'll have a lot of explaining to do. Because um, it, it got pretty dicey. It gets pretty hot and heavy when you're making lists. I didn't know. I shouldn't say that I'm making lists. It's not a good, <laughs> it's not a good thing to claim. Anyway, so number seven is Django Unchained. Now, you may think, how dare you? 
you know, that's that's top three. And I would have thought that it was I would have thought it was top four. But I mean, when I really looked at it, I think it came down to this. Like when I saw Django in theaters, I was blown away, as I'm sure everybody else was like the scope, just the vision and just the length of it. But then rewatching it at home, I kind of realized it's a little choppier then you'd remember it just kind of bounces from one place to the next. They don't really, I don't know. I think that the story is kind of unfocused in what it's trying to do, and then all of a sudden it's about them being at this plantation with DiCaprio, and like, yeah, he's great. Again, like all the performances, all that, it's all always good. Um, But then like they do the weird thing with the KKK that's like just a bit for laughs, and I don't think that it plays as well on a rewatch because like when... You're just like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I thought that that would, like, meant something. But then you realize they just kind of threw a bit in there. And it's just kind of a lot of little stuff like that. Like, they just throw little bits in there. And then, like, the way he gets free is just, like, Tarantino plays an Australian guy for no reason. And, yeah, it. I think it was just more... It, it loses more of its impact on Second Watch and Beyond. Not that I won't watch it again. Um, but also Christoph Waltz getting a ton of praise for that role. I never really understood. Not that he's not great again. Um, but I mean, especially compared to, you know, bastards, I just don't really understand it. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it just is what it is. It's also good, but you know, it's a little much. Two, you know, just heavy topics. You know, doesn't, doesn't, uh, 2020, it's a little bit rougher, you know, a little harder to just be like, yeah, you know, that this was chill. <laughs> um, let's, let's have fun. You know, it's hard. It's harder. Uh, I don't know if that's the reason why. I don't really think that I'm like affected by the times. I just think that, uh, I think that I had previously overrated it in my own head, and uh, I was kind of disappointed on my third, second, third, whatever viewings. Uh, yeah, just doesn't hold up as well as you'd think. And so that'll bring us to number six, which is the next Western-style movie, Hateful Eight. A lot of people do not like this. Um, I could see why, I guess, if you're used to Tarantino's just explosive nature. This movie's pretty tame. It's all dialogue-y. But I will say I saw the Roadshow 70 mil version, and it was mind-blowing to see. The score, unbelievable. It was like you were there, uh, especially because it came out like on Christmas. So it was like cold as hell outside, which was an experience I had with The Revenant. That definitely enhanced that movie. If you're a hater on that movie, fuck off, too, because that shit's unreal. Uh, But anyway, Hateful Eight, yeah. Same thing. Everybody's super good. When you realize that it's, like, staged like a play and just, like, all the clever things he did, the 70 mil cut, it's a little bit longer. Uh, Just because, like, the formatting dictated that they had to be cut from the um, less wide version so that's a big factor i think but then even on rewatch i think that it's fun because you can kind of just sit 
and hang out. Let it play out because it's one room the whole time. It makes sense to watch indoors. It's claustrophobic-y kind of, but not really um, because they make that place into such a big haberdashery or so it feels and a lot just keeps happening and you kind of don't know it's like almost a whodunit and then like you know it's fun i think it's a lot of fun and i think that if you're stuck in on a snowy winter day curl up with that movie spend three hours trying to get to the bottom of it i think it holds up better on rewatch is really the reason why it goes above Django. Because uh, I think if you want to go fun factor and like you're going to watch it for the first time, then you can flip those. But I, I, I don't know. I like it. It was fun. <laughs> you know, I don't know. When, when a Western can be interesting, I think that that goes a long way. And I think that what's her name? This doesn't help my case for what I'm about to say, but got snubbed and should have won the Oscar. Oh, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. There we go. She was phenomenal. And also, just that score really does elevate it above Django. Like, Django wishes it had the Hateful Eight score. I think the Hateful Eight, you know, it's it's a more timeless film. It'll, I think it'll hold up even better in the long run. So, coming down to number five. Again, I think that this list might be pretty hot. I think that I am just running with crazy takes. Because it seems like I'm fucking up, but it's just like, there's no other way to do it. So that brings us to number five. We are at QT's numero uno. That would be Reservoir Dogs. And I just think, like, if you're going to nitpick anything about it, which this is not really even a thing. Like, you can only do this in retrospect. But it's just like... It was clearly constrained by its budget, or it was written to be made with a small one, you know, however you want to look at it, whatever. It's just, like, too much of it is, like, cleverly making the scenes be set in that warehouse, and I'm just too aware of it because it's a little too much of that. That's really it, because all the other stuff, the backstory with the cop, like, doing all that crazy shit, and him, like, making up that story, and the stuff at the diner, you know, all of that's great when they go back to the robbery scenes. All of that is all amazing. And it's just really what holds me back is they're just at that warehouse too much. And, uh, yeah, that's really about it. And, of course, you know, you got to love Mr. Bond going off. That's, of course, very fun. Steve Buscemi's amazing. But again, I don't know. It feels it feels weird. It feels like I'm doing every I'm dissing every movie for what number it's at. It's like again, like I still love all of them. It's just like I'm sorry. You know what I mean? The chips just fell where they fell. Which brings us to number four. That's gonna be Kill Bill. Uh and I kept it as one because like he is very adamant that it's like one because he's still says that he's only made nine movies even though this was released as two movies uh but i guess they made it all at once and it just had to get cut that way um and also i don't think that any movie would like come between the two they would just be ranked in 
Ah, uh, ooh, see what order would I rank them if I split them into two though? So like it would be probably volume two then vol I like volume one better, I think. But I don't know. See, that's that's too tough to call. You know, volume one is just crazy. Not that volume two isn't, but it's just this movie is a lot of fun, a lot of insane action to take in, and a mix of styles and genres. You're watching fucking motorcycles and swords and anime. And I, I just remember when I saw this, it's like I have never seen anything like this and still really haven't, frankly, because he really just did whatever the fuck he wanted and ran with it. And so much crazy shit happens. I can't even begin. I would just I would just start listing them all off and it is really remarkable. And the whole crazy 88 thing, I mean it's a little dumb, you know, cuz it's like they clearly could have got her so many times, but boy is it still just a beautiful sequence. And as there are just so many with the music and all of that. Really just phenomenal. And in the second one, I don't like the buried alive thing. She kind of gets out of there pretty quick and easy. That kind of bothers me. It just seems like that's a lot of dirt. You know, that's a lot of weight. Just like you're just moving earth. I don't really understand. That's my biggest gripe. Um, but same thing. A lot of fun. The whole trailer thing. They're like fighting. She gets And then the other chick shows up. She takes out her other eye. All of that. Love all of it. Uh, Vivica Fox was fun at the beginning. You know, a lot of good ones. And yeah. It just, it it's another one of those things. Couldn't be any higher. You know what I mean? And that brings us down to number three. Now, this is where it might start to get shocking, I think. But number three is Pulp Fiction. And the reason why Pulp Fiction is number three and not number two, it's definitely not number one, I think there, there's no question, is mostly just because of fucking Butch and his fucking girlfriend, who is the most fucking annoying an ignorant and inconsiderate girlfriend that anyone has ever had on earth, especially a criminal, right? Like you're this fucking dirty boxer doing all this shady shit. And you're telling me this chick is cool and down with all that. You just murdered a man, right? They reveal that he died in the fight. And I don't remember if the girlfriend even reacts to that at all, but either way, like she should, she doesn't understand who this man is still. Like, how long? They've clearly been together for some amount of time. You know, if he's that set on running away with her. So it's just like, how are you not aware of any of these things? And you're, like, still surprised when he gets angry and all this stuff. Now, also caring that much about a watch, you know, probably a little dumb, considering people are trying to murder you. So that is on him. At the same time, you know, I gotta, I gotta be truly impartial here but i don't want to hear her talk about the pancakes and the pot belly it's annoying i don't find any of it cute or anything i don't understand what that is or who it's for or what it's a reference to as it might be but it's rough and i just can't shake it no matter how many times i try to watch it and think like okay maybe this time it'll be chill and i can no i cannot stand that character or that woman, frankly. I don't know who she is or what else she's done. Hopefully nothing that I like. So I can continue to just be like, wow, what a trash thing. Okay? Okay. 
But the rest of it, I mean, almost like flawless. You know, that's what's so rough. Eric Stoltz gets his moment, you know. Got fired for Michael J. Fox off Back to the Future. Now there he is later. Heroin dealer for John Travolta. You know, arguably cooler. You know, it's, you know, probably it's not it's not going to get you any worldwide recognition and catapult you into stardom, Eric Stoltz. But you know, good good for you. And just all of it, all of it's great. Samuel L. and John Travolta have wonderful chemistry, as do him and Uma Thurman. I mean, you know, you just can't beat any of it. Yeah, if you somehow still haven't seen Pulp Fiction, I mean, there's nothing really what I can say about it. Everybody in it, again, is awesome, except for that woman. And her character's terrible. And, like, I I can watch... I'm not a big fan of the gimp stuff, because that's just rough and wild that there's just some guy in some pawn shop, you know, in the valley or whatever. Just, like, the idea of that is pretty wild and is probably real. (laughs) That's what's rough. That stuff's not, like... I'm loving to watch this. Pretty much all of uh, fucking Bruce Willis's story arc I'm not that interested in. I don't like, you know, the Christopher Walken backstory thing, whatever. Him going to the house, whatever, you know. He kills John Travolta. That's lame, you know. You want the Vega to, to survive. Come on, that's Vincent Vega. He's the man. And, you know, funnest dialogue. The Honey Bunny stuff, you know, they're kind of annoying. It just drags on a little bit. There's just little nitpicks. It's because, it's also probably because I've seen it the, you know, one of the most times. You know, it's just, it's on more often. Things like that. So, I suppose that that could be part of it for, like, the little nitpicks. But overall, I mean. And again, Tarantino, another good performance. He really... He really was a fine actor in the early 90s. I liked him in in Reservoir Dogs, too. I didn't really mention it, but, you know, that's just how it goes. Um, and then number two, I mean, I, it might be soon. It might be too quick, but I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is there. And if you still haven't seen that, which you might not have, I'm going to say not that much about it for that reason, but, like, all the cameos are amazing. And this one also is very weird in structure, kind of how I mentioned with Django, but it seems very intentional. And Leo, just a whirlwind. I mean, there's a moment where he's like in character and then he has to act as that character both very poorly and well. And it's just like, that's insane. Just the ultimate flex there. I I mean, yeah. There's nothing you can't say anything about. I, I think it's fucking flawless. It's a ton of fun. It's a good hang, and it's the only one that's not centered around, like, brutal... I mean, it is centered around brutal crimes. As I was saying, that doesn't make sense. I guess in the end, it's centered around that. You know? But throughout the movie, it's a buddy comedy, like, the whole time. There's not, like, violence and crime going on throughout it. Uh, The Manson family's just kind of running around as these guys are running around. But nothing's going on. So it's the most unique because it's just about the business. It's about this actor doing his thing and uh, going through a tough time. But it's it's uh, it's a new lane for the Q man. 
And I think he fucking crushed it. And looking at old Hollywood is cool. Not that I like know what that was like or anything. But the, it's always nice to see like vintage neon signs and shit. You're going to love that. You know what I mean? The best part about Cars, that piece of shit movie, was watching all the Brute 66 stuff get restored. Everybody wants to take a trip down Route 66, right? I don't know why I did a Bill Burr impression for a second there. But that, you know, I would love to do that at some point. I think that that would be fun. Not that that has anything to do with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but it's amazing. It all comes full circle in the end. Just everything that happens is is fun. I don't really have any nitpicks. I've only seen it three times again. Uh, but different format every time. I went 70 millimeter at opening. That was breathtaking at the the famed and lovely music box theater my favorite place possibly on earth i think i've said that before and then i saw it again regular theater and then on tv every time loved it sucked in and then so much happens you're kind of like oh i remember that part i remember that part i remember that part and it kind of like genre bends sometimes comedy sometimes and then like in the show it's a western and then there's like suspense elements action you know it's all really there he really did a whole full spectrum thing and it really is a very unique and like singular thing and so it goes number two and that just leaves number one and glorious bastards which is just fucking untouchable i think i mean that opening scene where he interviews the guy hoarding the Jews on that French farm, it is just heart-wrenching and masterfully done. They're changing languages. All this crazy shit is happening. There's just so much going on throughout this whole movie. There are like five storylines happening at once. They're all interesting, and then they all end up interconnecting and interweaving, both with and without the characters knowing it. All the while, everybody's speaking different languages killing different people, doing different things, all for one cause. You know, you gotta love killing Hitler. The fucking scene in the bar where they're playing the game and then the whole army shows up. Or no, they were already there. But they weren't supposed to be there. It was supposed to be a secret meet. They end up getting in that whole confrontation. Very intense. Holds up incredibly well. I don't know. Uh, every time I watch it, I'm like, "That this is a fucking masterpiece. And I love it. I just think it is flawless. I think it is the one movie of his where you are both in awe of the technical stuff and the script and what you're seeing. Like, I feel like the dialogue will usually, like, outshine something in them like the shot or the action will outshine the composition some things like that or like whatever this movie has everything you could ask for is all i'm saying like you like oh my god like i can't believe that they were able to even set this up come up with this let alone like just execute it because i mean at one point michael fassbender who is a german man i believe who was raised in Ireland or he's an Irish man raised in Germany, something like that. He's then playing a British guy pretending to be German, like even though he's Irish or something. Like it's just insane the level that everybody is at in this. 
and Christoph Waltz, like one of the greatest performances you've ever seen by anybody. And it ends up, it stays funny, it stays intense. You definitely don't know how it's going to play out, and the way it ends is fucking insane and a ton of fun. And that's my that's my number one. Controversial, it may be. That that one I kind of knew. I think I knew deep down that was my number one. I'd been deciding it because I'd rewatched it like four or five times in the last year, maybe, let's say. And it just keeps growing on me every time. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood features the same type of ending, like the same style of ending. And may- maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. But that's that ranking. I'll recap it again real quick. So Quentin Tarantino, Power Rankings. Number nine, Death Proof. Number eight, Jackie Brown. Number seven, Django Unchained. Number six, Hateful Eight. Number five, Reservoir Dogs. Number four, Kill Bill. Three, Pulp Fiction. Two, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And number one, Inglorious Bastards. So that was wild. A lot of twists and turns there. So we're going to move on to Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay. Now, the reason why I like to compare these guys, they came out around the same time, kind of had the same path, like, oh, I'll do my little indie movie, and then I'll do my my big vision movie. Whereas, you know, Quentin went from Reservoir Dogs to Pulp Fiction. Paul Thomas Anderson goes from Heart 8 to Boogie Nights. So, similar paths. I feel like they worked with the same studios. I don't really know, but both very particular both writer-director guys, same era, same type of thing, just like the auteur reputation, reputation, whereas Quentin, kind of like I said, elevates exploitation to like a whole nother level and like is a referential guy. Paul Thomas Anderson, I feel like, does his version of like the classical style of great film, but then puts almost like, it's almost like the inversion. Instead of, elevating exploitation he like adds exploitation to elevated cinema a little bit kind of kind of gets the gist of what i'm getting at you know what i mean he just like he'll he's gonna do it his way no matter what but you're gonna be in awe of how it was done like he's gonna show you that he's the master (laughs) no pun intended of anything going on on his set like it is 100% under control and it is done flawlessly with pure expertise every time and not that Quentin won't again I just think that him being having so much like violence and fun and jokes and like references I just think that he's taken a little bit less seriously not that he's not, you know, insanely critically acclaimed and award-winning and all of that. I'm just saying, you know what I mean? He's a, he has a much lighter approach to things. Whereas I feel like, I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson must have a great sense of humor. I think he's like married to Maya Rudolph. So, and it's, and I've, you know, listened to him in interviews and I've heard these two talk to each other. Um, but his movies definitely have a lot less comedy and when they do have jokes in there too i feel like they're not as broad let's say like the humor in the master isn't going to translate to where you could be like yeah this is almost a comedy <laughs> you know 
which you could kind of say with like Django, for instance, or something like that. Anyway, so PTA number eight, or let's backtrack. The honorable mention really is just Anima, the Tom York short film uh, that he did for Tom York's new album. It's awesome. It's really well choreographed. I think I talked about it on here before, so I won't dive into it a lot, but go watch it. It's on Netflix. It's not very long, and it's just really well shot, really cool visuals, but it's not like a story or anything. Uh, And he did, like, a bunch of music videos. I'm not a big music video guy, really. They're, like, some classics, you know, Hoobastank for Life. But, you know, I'm not, like, wow, the greatest music video directors of all time. It's like, yeah, whatever. You know? Not a big music video guy. I don't know what to tell you. Um, So, yeah, again, we're going with number eight because number nine just wrapped... So that won't be out until hopefully early 2021, but we'll have to wait and see on what's going on, you know, with the whole pandemic and theaters and whatnot. But I'll take any more PTA when I can get it, especially another 70s set thing, and it's like with Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid, rest in peace, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, who I'm going to be talking about a bunch. But, uh, yeah. Number eight, Inherent Vice. Now, I don't get it. I think that that's really just the thing. Maybe you need to have read the book. I don't know. I just don't see what's funny about it. It's kind of dull. I've been told, you know, I might take another watch. I don't know if I even want to give it another one. But, I mean, I love Joaquin Phoenix. He's probably my favorite actor. Uh, I just don't know if anybody can do it as well as him, frankly. Just too many movies I've seen where he is just not Joaquin Phoenix anymore. And uh, But, yeah, still, it just uh, just doesn't do it for me. I just really don't get it. So, yeah, I w- like if we were to rank all of these movies, including Quentin's in one list, like this is last. Make no mistake. Uh, So I'm just going to move on. Seven, Punch Drunk Love. I don't get the hype for this one either. Like, oh, it's because it was Sandler's first dramatic thing, and it came at, like, peak Sandler. He was just ripping off hit after hit. Uh, So maybe it was just an at-the-time thing. I think as far as, again, a Paul Thomas Anderson movie goes, it ends up at this ranking because, I mean, come on. The stuff that's weird is just, like, weird for the sake of being weird. And I don't know. It's just like, yeah, you watch Adam Sandler just kind of behave like a creepy guy the whole time. And there's the thing with the desk and the plot. You know, I don't know. He's doing the coupon thing, but it doesn't really matter. And then he's being extorted by a phone sex company. It's just like, then he just flies out to see this chick. It's just weird. I don't know. It's like too offbeat for me. Still good. You know, like I'll watch it again. I'm not anti-Punch Drunk Love. I just think, you know, especially now that we have uncut gems, it's like we know what the best dramatic Sandler's like, and that's what it is. So, yeah, I don't know. He's It's good. I think, I think again, there's also just something I'm not getting that must be missing, but uh, I don't know. The coupon gambit's good, though. I love a good gambit. 
if you can get somebody got, get him got, and so you don't get got, and, you know, he got got. Number six, Magnolia. Now, this is just this little, it's too long, there's too much, too many storylines by just a little. It just needed to be scaled back just a tad, there's just a little too much. I don't know where that is, where you want it to be. I love John C. Riley. could probably cut his old character out. I think I've talked about that before, but I don't like it. I don't like the daughter on Coke. I don't like that Philip Baker Hall. Shout out to Joe Bookman. Uh, like, molested. It was just too much. Too much drama. Tom Cruise was unbelievable. Uh, I feel like he doesn't act, act a lot, you know? He's just, like, sprinting, and he's going to go to space, and he's, like, hanging off real helicopters, doing all his own stunts, being a crazy guy. Like, that's cool. Like, you're just, a, you just, like, want to accomplish feats. Um, But he showed that he can just fucking straight up put him on screen and act still at this point. May have been the last time. This was, like, 98. It's everything after that, just fucking explosions. That's what I'm saying. You know, let's not forget. Tom Cruise could read some dialogue at one point <laughs> effectively, but it was good. It was just too much and it's too weighty. And this is the one where it's like, it got weird and unexpected out of nowhere. And it was dope and it was his own thing. And you could tell like he's got it. And I just think punch drunk love was like, it took a little too much of the wrong parts of Magnolia, but yeah, just too much. It was just too much. Still, it was okay, but, you know. Paul Thomas Anderson's Uyghur movies, again, these are still, like, sound, well-made, always good scores. He either works with either worked with John Bryan or Johnny Greenwood, and I, be, on, I believe every single one of these. Uh, I prefer Johnny Greenwood, but that's also because, you know, I'm, I'm a Radiohead guy. I didn't want to be for a long time. You know, it's pretty undeniable, though. We're not going to get into that right now. <laughs> anyway. So that brings us to number five, Hard Eight. And this is where the parallels in the move in the rankings get weird, too, because I compared this movie to Reservoir Dogs, and they ended up in the same spot. Now, this was a lesser-known movie, pretty hard to find. I've mentioned it on the pod before just because it's a funny story. I have this movie on DVD that is half this movie and half Johnson Family Vacation with Cedric the Entertainer. It's just like, how are these movies put together? It's like, an, Heart Eight is an indie movie about gambling in Reno as a career, basically. Anyway, it's a tiny little indie movie by Paul Thomas Anderson that basically nobody's seen. How does it end up on that split? I love it. I just love it. It's so illogical, and I'm so happy to have a copy. I may need to get it resurfaced though so hit me up anyway um it's really good you know john c riley's a great actor philip baker hall gets a nice lead role he plays a hard guy that's not why it's called hard eight but he shows john c riley around reno basically shows him how to get by by just playing casinos and then they get into some hijinks with some people samuel jackson Kind of plays a similar role. I feel like I get it confused with who he is in Jackie Brown, which is interesting. I could be off by that, but Hard Eight is kind of like Reservoir Dogs on... It's like he made Jackie Brown on Reservoir Dogs' budget, is like what Hard Eight kind of reminds me of. Um, 
it's like a familiar-ish story, which is kind of a Paul Thomas Anderson thing in a couple of these movies where you think you know where it's going to go and then it'll pivot and and you'll be like, oh my God, that was fantastic. And he's just so good at that. And uh, if you can find a way to watch Heart 8, you should watch Heart 8 because it's good. It's underrated. I think that somebody should re-release that in some form if there's an anniversary anytime soon. We might have just missed one. But bring that back because Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, she's great in it too. It's just really good performances. And there's no reason why this movie should be so hard to find, especially by a guy who's like the seminal filmmaker with Quentin Tarantino of, you know, the last 30 years, 25, whatever. And then number four is Phantom Thread. I also feel like as I'm saying this, everybody's like, I haven't seen any of these movies. And it's like, yeah, you guys should watch Paul Thomas Anderson movies just as much as you watch Quentin Tarantino movies. But, you know, Quentin gets it. He knows what the people want. He's got the commercial appeal. PTA, a little more artsy. What are you going to do? Okay? I'm going through it a little faster. Relax. Random Thread's great. Daniel Day-Lewis is probably the best actor ever because I've only seen the two movies he's in with Paul Thomas Anderson, and he's unbelievable. Uh, but Phantom Thread is sick. How How is it that I enjoy a movie about a British dressmaker in the 60s this much? You know, there's nothing about that that sounds appealing. The period piece element, the British element, the dressmaking element, nothing. You throw in Johnny Greenwood and it's just like all of this is fucking unbelievable. You know, and I, I've seen it like three or four times. It's awesome. You know, it's like he... It's hard to explain why this movie's good. You just kind of have to watch it. But it's just great performance the way that they all speak to each other is cutting and fun and it is a thrill ride the whole way through thoroughly entertaining uh you know pta just keeps getting oscar snubs so does tarantino really but tarantino has some it's crazy to me that paul thomas anderson does not but i think he doesn't have a palm d'Or either i still don't know how to say that but I think Tarantino won for Pulp Fiction. So it's just like on the awards front, it's pretty lopsided, which is crazy because PTA, I feel like, is more Oscar style, even though it's far from that. Uh, but this is where the list got hard. And I put Boogie Nights at three. Again, it lined up with Pulp Fiction. So that's weird that the comparisons there happened. Not intentional. I didn't look at the Tarantino list and I was making the PTA list. Don't worry. Okay. I counted all the votes. Um, I think it just drags a little bit. Just a little bit. I do think it's probably the most rewatchable movie out of all of these movies. Like, if you had, like, a what movie could you watch every day ranking, Boogie Nights would probably be one. You know, and then I don't even know where... Tarantino would go on that list, you know, like which movies in what order, but regardless, if you haven't seen Boogie Nights, just go fucking see Boogie Nights. It's amazing. I don't have a lot to say. It's just fucking amazing. I just think that, you know, the part when they're on Coke, they're at that guy's house, it's just loud the whole time. I get that that's the point, but it just actually is annoying. But like on a technical level, on a scope, on a scale, 
It's like it's the amount of scale retracted that Magnolia needed. It's like Magnolia, he just hey, he's like, let me go one bigger, and it's like, no, you you went the right amount of big. Also, no pun intended. Um, and you know, Mark Wahlberg was awesome. It was the birth of Mark Wahlberg. So we can all love that. And Philip Seymour Hoffman, I mean, what more can we said? He was great in that, and he was great in the number two pick, The Master. Now, the only reason this is number one is because I really thought about it. And it's like, if you had, like, which one would you be more likely to show somebody else and just be like, what do you think? Like, with no context. And th- uh, this may be a dumb reason, but it's basically just The Master can't be the first Paul Thomas Anderson movie you watch. So it just can't be the best. I feel like you have to digest another one first to kind of get what he's going for. Because I think The Master could easily come off as either too weird, too pretentious, too something. And it's none of those things, I think. I think it might be my it might be one of my favorite movies, period. But I just think if you're going to rank them... The Master is too much of a, like, you interpret it in it. And I don't know. I think it's too divisive to just put it number one. Um, but Joaquin Phoenix is so unbelievable in it. The visuals are so unbelievable. But it is a little confusing. And you kind of have to read into some stuff. Jesse Plemons is great. Like, every, again, for all of these movies, but everybody was so good. Amy Adams was so good. I just, I really love this movie. I love it the more I watch it, every time I see it. Who knows? It could end up being number one. Maybe I'll change my mind. This was the hardest part, was these three. Because Boogie Nights could easily be two. Boogie Nights could easily be one. Master could be three. Master could be one but it's not number one is there will be blood and really part of it is just i owe that movie a ton of credit i use the font a lot you know big inspo there uh, but i mean what can you say you want to talk scale and scope this is over the course of many years in many places this man oil tycoon uh relationship with his child the community and uh, alcohol, which is uh, also a thing in the master substance abuse, just kind of runs in a bunch of these movies. Actually, it's in Boogie Nights, it's in Heart Eight, Phantom Thread, kind of. Magnolia, yes. Wow, all of these movies are about people on drugs. Huh. I guess that's a pretty simplistic way to look at it, but. Well, you go, Paul Thomas Anderson. Way to, way to sneak it in every time. <laughs> um, but, I mean, there will be blood. Again, Johnny Greenwood just t- fire. Same goes for the master. But, I mean, the score is great. Every shot is breathtaking. It's epic. It is grand. It lost out to No Country for Old Men, which I don't understand because I thought the book was better. The movie was still good, but I mean, you're going to try to tell me that it wasn't that it was better than There Will Be Blood, like that is so crazy. Daniel Day-Lewis is another person entirely. 
as Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman were in the master. You know what I mean? It's just like there's nothing because then the brother shows up that gets into everything just gets is so intense and i guess that's the one thing about there will be blood and really the master they're just so serious um but especially there will be blood it is just so serious that's a little tough and i always assumed the reason why i hadn't seen it for so long was that it was like oscar Beatty. it seems like one of those movies but no, it is wholly a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Still, he still manages to have it be his own thing, especially with that ending, which seems to be the only thing critics don't like. And it's like, if you are not familiar with this guy, or you don't like even begin to understand him if you don't think that that ending wasn't perfect. And I don't know. I feel like I, I want to watch it all the time, and it just seems like it's... You know, it's a little long, but... What what would you cut? I don't know. I don't know if I'd cut anything. So, I mean, I, I really fucking love all th- that top three. Those are like three of my favorite, favorite fucking movies. And not that the top three Tarantino weren't up there, too. Let me recap my PTA before we come down to brass tacks here. Number eight. Inherent Vice. Number seven, Punch Drunk Love. Number six, Magnolia. Number five, Hard Eight. Number four, Phantom Thread. Number three, again, this bottom three was tough. I feel like you could really kind of flip it around, especially two and one. But number three, Boogie Nights. Number two, The Master. And number one, There Will Be Blood. Now, who wins in the battle? Well, here's the tough question, right? Quentin Tarantino wins on consistency. Nine to one, they're all good, and I would gladly put any of them on right now. Now, this ranking was both a combo of personal taste plus quality, so like Death Proof, would I rather watch than Jackie Brown? Yes, but Jackie Brown's clearly a better movie, so that gets complicated. It's not perfect. There's no real system here. Whatever. And then Paul Thomas Anderson just has... Again, not that any of these are bad quality movies. It is just that top three. Those movies are so good that I would put them as like, I would put them in all time like rankings, not even like favorites. You know, just like of every movie I've personally seen, it's like those are way up there. But so are Tarantino. So I think the victory just has to go to Tarantino on consistency alone. And again, that's not that Paul Thomas Anderson's inconsistent. The only movie that I would say I didn't like, really, was Inherent Vice. Punch Drunk Hog, I'm a little iffy on. You know, Magnolia, I'm just like not not trying to watch these all the time. It didn't, like, blow my mind. Magnolia is also just, like, so heavy. And that's, you know, that's the harder part. It's like you're trying to go for, like, a serious drama. Or you're trying to watch a bunch of people get blown up and people say fun shit. It's like, well, yeah, th- those movies are more fun. They're more fun. Um, but it's deadlocked, and who knows, with this new one, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be fucking awesome. Philip Seymour Hoffman's son is in it. I don't know if he can act, but there's no way that Paul Thomas Anderson would let a poor performance come in. And, you know, obviously I didn't break these movies down movie by movie. 
This would have taken like six hours. But Quentin won. I didn't think he'd win. I really didn't in my head. I'm like, PTA, PTA, PTA. Again, it's because like the best of the best is the best. But looking at the bottom of that list, it's like, yeah, I'm not interested. It's like, I'll watch Death Proof over Magnolia. Jackie Brown over, you know what I mean? And you just go cross, 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 cross before you get to one where it's like, I'll watch that one over that one. You're too far down the list. I'm over explaining it, but that's that's how it went down. And that's the ranking. That's what happened. And I know that we're like basically out of time here, but we're going to run through a quick sports corner. Because it was a wild week. So first we'll go NFL. First of all, those goddamn Thanksgiving games. Okay, the Cowboys, the worst fake punt of all time. I mean, why would you run a double reverse or whatever you're doing? Like, you're supposed to be spontaneous and quick. That doesn't make any sense. You're not going to throw anybody off if you're running backwards. And... I just don't get how anybody was picking Dallas anyway. It's like, what, Andy Dalton's back? You're excited? Like, they've looked like shit. Their defense is terrible. And the Washington football team has a good defense, and Alex Smith doesn't turn the ball over. Pretty simple. Seemed easy. Uh, and the Texans, I don't know how they beat the Patriots. My Patriots take was not, didn't look great, but then they somehow beat the Cardinals. I don't know how that happened, especially with Cam Newton being that bad. My that was the worst part of the take was I was like, yeah, he's the guy. I still think he probably should or could be, but who knows with an offseason. They just don't have anything better, so I would still extend them. But, I mean, if they could have beat Houston, they would really be in the playoff run right now. They'd be, what would they be? They'd be 6-5. and five. Come on. Anyway, they have, I don't know, but I still think that they're good. But it's it's complicated. I don't know. The Raiders are frauds. The Bills, I think that they have a real shot. Here's the thing, okay? Kansas City is terrifying. Somebody can beat them in one game. I think some a team like the Titans could do that. I mean, I was saying, they're going to take the step up this year. They have so far. They're definitely winning more than nine games again. And, you know, they went toe-to-toe with them being inexperienced and being like nine and seven incomplete now they've been together for a while they're gelling even more Tannehill doesn't fuck up now even you know they're fucking awesome i'm riding the titans anybody who thinks that they're not good is crazy and it's like all the talk like oh their defense the defense the defense or like oh they they need to stop shoving the ball down the henry's throat or whatever you know what i mean it's like just watch the games and it works just because the metrics don't say so like they're one of those teams where it's like, just look at it, though. Why would you do anything else? They clearly know exactly who they are and what they should do. I don't know what happened with the defense, though. That's scary. So that'll be tough against KC. But if they can somehow pull that together, I think they're a real threat. Again, with Indy, like, I just don't know. The Not with Phillip Rivers. They should have just went with Brissett and just gave him a shot. I think if he had a whole other, like, if he had the whole offseason in the system, which, again, there wasn't one, but, you know, they'd be better off. Because then they'd know for sure whether or not he's the guy. It's like, what, are you going to win the Super Bowl with Phillip Rivers? The answer is no. It's just no. And so they made a mistake. The Bucks look rough. They kind of made that comeback against the Chiefs, but, I mean, they got torched. I don't know. 
worried about Brady. It kind of seems like Bruce Arians is a little stubborn. It's like, why are you guys still trying to run these plays? And that's what everybody always says about Bruce Arians. It's like, why don't you just try something that's a little simpler and easier and not so long developing? It's like it was the Mike Martz problem. It's like, yes, you'll get the big plays when they're there, but they're not going to be there that often, and your guy's going to get his ass kicked, and now you're behind, and it's like now you can't stop. Because it seems like like Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette, that could be a crazy combo. It's like just start by running and doing quick short passes that Brady's good at. It's like, I don't know. Bruce Arians seems like he's stubborn, but they, they definitely could still make it to the Super Bowl, I suppose. The Bears definitely cannot... Uh, they're fucking pathetic, and I'm out. It's just really embarrassing. Trubisky is horrific. Uh, at least Nick Foles. Everybody, I don't know. You know, it, again, obviously Nick Foles wasn't successful. Nobody can be successful. The system doesn't seem to be good. They need to fire everybody. Pace, Nagy, just get the get everybody out. Get a better system in. Get some offensive linemen in there. And then they'll be fine. Like, the roster doesn't need anything else. Boost up the O-line. You know, make the moves you got to make. We could draft another running back. Whatever. But I can't take it anymore. (laughs) It's just so sad. Uh, Yeah, and, you know, the Eagles are garbage. The NFC East is a fucking disaster. I hope... Honestly, I hope Washington wins. They seem to be the most competent on both sides of the ball. It just makes the most sense. They could maybe beat, you know, who, I don't know, fuck. (laughs) L.A., maybe, if golf doesn't show up, I don't know. But, I mean, it's the Chiefs. Unless something happens, I don't think even the Steelers really have a shot. But who knows what can happen in one game. I mean, it really seems like it's going to be up to the Steelers or Titans to knock them off if anybody's gonna. I don't know if there's a team in the NFC that could beat them. It's kind of unfair. The Bears fucked up. We could have had them. Breaks my heart. Every second I think about it, it just tortures my soul. So moving on from that. <laughs> Fucking tragedy. Um, you know, Nate Robinson, rest in peace. That was pathetic. You got beat up by a YouTuber. And I don't know why it should have happened. Clearly, like, whoever let that go made a mistake. Uh, but wow, that was shocking. And uh, the fact that Mike Tyson is 55 is both encouraging and terrifying and disappointing because uh, I won't be in that kind of shape. But good for him. I didn't really get to see much of it. They rigged the fucking result anyway. So what's the point? <sighs> but man, didn't Robinson get knocked the fuck out? Truly embarrassing. And that man won the dunk contest. Now it's going to be overshadowed probably forever. So, sorry, Nate. I'll never forget. You were on the bowls, too, and I liked it. You're fun. You know, you're only an inch taller than me, and you can dunk. Amazing. But clearly, uh, fighting is for fighters. Uh, That became clear. Just as quarterbacking is for quarterbacks. Denver learned that. Now, also, the guy had, like, two days, so that was also a reason why he played so poorly, but I do get the point. Like, clearly, yeah, nobody could do it. Amateurs can't do it. Obviously, that's a thing. 
being good in high school doesn't mean you could play in the NFL. Yes, that's all true, but I don't think that, that was a clear display. I think if that guy had, like, two weeks to prepare or, like, was already, like, a reserve guy, you know, like, if their reserve quarterback was an ex-receiver. Like, I think Julian Edelman could start for the Patriots and play as well as, well, play as well as Cam Newton did today. He basically played as well as the Broncos guy did. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like, he could do a full game if you ran the actual offense and he knows it and... You know, if they actually ran quick passes and, like, tried to help. But they didn't stand a chance anyway. That's the real reason why the NFL said, fuck it. What are we going to postpone this Saints-Broncos? There's no way the Broncos could win with anybody. You know. And also, like, you know, they fucked up. It's on them. Why should the NFL postpone a game if, like, you didn't follow Proto, bro? So I do get that. I also see the other side. It's tricky, but I don't think they're fucking canceling anything. <laughs> they want this shit to roll, baby. But please don't put the Bears on at night anymore. No more prime time. No more game of the week even. Don't put them on. At, like, don't have Troy be there. Don't have Romo be there. Uh, it's too embarrassing. Like, uh, they're so bad. They're just so bad. Now I'm talking myself into a sad thing. That's that's the end of the episode. We gotta wrap up. <laughs> Rate, review, subscribe. Uh, links in the description for all the extra fun stuff. Fargo next week potentially. And I want to watch that other show that has been getting buzz on HBO. That's produced by Nathan Fielder. I forget what it's called. So that might be part of it as well. I don't know. We'll see. But now I'm sad. <laughs> uh, so that's it. That was my QTV PTA ultimate power rankings officially. Get you out of here on this. I are fat. You are fat. We are fat. Calculator. <laughs>